Okay, so let's start, start the day. First up, we've got Emma Sadler. Emma is a South African uh, leading expert in social media law. She founded a company, digital law company, three years ago, which specializes in educating and advising corporates, employees, schools, parents, teachers, and uni university on the legal and disciplinary or reputational risk of social me media. Much of, much of Emma's work involves creating social media strategies, policies, providing training on social media law. She also teaches media law to journalists and lawyers and also lectures uh, personal reputational management at various MBA courses. She's a regular commentator on radio and television. Emma's also a co-author of the book called Don't Film Yourself Having, Having Sex and Other Legal advice for this age of social media. This book was published in 2014. And she also co-authored a social media section of the legal textbook Communications Law. And she, she recently brought out her second book called Selfies, Sext, and, and Smartphones, a Teenager's Online Survival Guide. And this was published in October 2017. Uh, please welcome Emma. Thank you very much. Well, it's lovely to be here, and I'm sorry that I cut it fine time-wise. I thought it would be quicker taking an Uber um, so that I didn't have to face the Santa Convention Center parking lot, but it turned out to be the worst decision I've taken in a long time. So I'm lucky uh, to be here, and I'm sorry to cut it fine, but I hope that you find this morning's session interesting. Who was here the last time I spoke to the Actuarial Society? Anybody? No. Okay. That's awesome. I was going to say things have changed dramatically because Adam Katsavalas hadn't happened. <laughs> um, um, it has been an absolute roller coaster the last couple of years when it comes to social media, when it comes to law, when it comes to disciplinary consequences, when we talk about um, how to look after your reputation, how to look after children. Obviously, today we're going to focus on the professional aspects of social media. Uh, we're going to try and have some time for questions at the end, but I don't have much time, so I am happy for you to stop me as we go, and I believe you can submit questions um, via the tech that's available. But I think the starting point of what I want to say to you is that I don't, think whether we, I don't think we have a choice on whether we do social media. I think the question now is how well we do it. You know, I've still got companies coming to me, professionals coming to me and saying, should I be on social media? Well, your clients are on social media, your customers are on social media, your colleagues, your employees, your ex-employees, all on social media. So I think it's just a question now of how well we do it. Who's here, who here is on Facebook? Who used to be on Facebook? Who's gone off, who's off Facebook? Okay, who used to be on Facebook has gone off Facebook? And is your life much happier? That's what everyone says, like life is so much better. All the professionals agree that our lives were happier before this digital revolution, before we spent our lives online. You don't think so? Your life's happier now? Your life is happier now? Is it? With your phone? Who are you chatting to? Someone interesting? <laughs> Who's on Instagram? Who's got a private account on Instagram? Who's got a public account on Instagram? Who's got no idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay. Who's, uh, who's on Twitter? I love Twitter people. I always say Facebook is for my friends. Twitter is for the people I'd like to be my friends. Um, but I have seen a massive deterioration in the platform. For me, professionally, Twitter has been incomparable. You know, when I worked for a long time at Weber Wenzel, I was there for five years. And when I resigned and said that I was going to go on my own and start my own company, I remember the senior partner coming to speak to me. And it was quite a big deal because the senior partner never came to speak to you. And he said, we're worried about you. You know, we believe your plan is to go off on your own. How are you going to do it? How are you going to make money? How are you going to get clients? How are you going to get busy? And I just said in my sweetest voice, well, if it doesn't work, I'd be very grateful if you take me back. Back. 
Um, I thankfully haven't had to make that call because I've been busy every single day for five years. I've never spent a cent on advertising. I've never spent a cent on marketing. I've styled myself as the expert on social media law on the continent, and that has solely been through my Twitter account. You know, I always say the best thing about social media is that it gives everyone a voice. The worst thing about social media is that it gives everyone a voice, which takes me to Adam Katsavellos. Um, so I think this has become the new locus classicus in South Africa. Up until now, I think it was Penny Sparrow. But I think the power of the digital vigilante mob was shown to be immense in the last couple of weeks. You know, stronger than any law or any rule or any right could possibly be the idea that this guy has lost his job, obviously. Even his family has been massively affected. There was this witch hunt for him. Where was he? Who is he? Initially, just this video appeared in a vacuum. It wasn't that he posted it on social media himself. My understanding is that he sent it to a WhatsApp group with a couple of people, and then it started being sent on. You know, I think the starting point, and it's going to be the end point of everything I say to you, do, say to you today, is, I'll come back to this in a moment. Come on, clicker. Um, is the billboard. I'm going to come back to it time and time again, and it's to say to you, if you wouldn't put what you're about to say in digital format on a massive billboard next to a huge photograph of your face, your name, the name of the company you work for or would like to work for, and whatever it is you're about to say, if you wouldn't say it on that billboard, you do not let it exist in digital format. And I know it's a strong rule. You know, people say to me, what about privacy? What about that screenshot of that private WhatsApp conversation that I was having with my lover? Surely that's private. Yes, it's private, but when she takes a screenshot and she Instagrams it, and it's all over the place, the fact is that you're going to have to deal with the consequences. When I'm teaching to primary school kids, I say to them that digital content is dangerous content. Digital content is dangerous content. If you've heard me speak before, hopefully you'll remember this billboard test. But I used to say that unless you'd put it on the billboard, don't put it on social media. And my message has changed. And the reason it's changed is primarily because of the screenshot. You know, the screenshot is the devil. You can be in a private chat with somebody. Somebody takes a screenshot that gets circulated. I also say it because phones get lost. Phones get stolen. You might have something on your phone that you never intended anyone to see. Maybe you've taken nudes. Maybe they're not even sexy nudes. <laughs> Maybe, you know, the ones like before and after pictures of some gym routine or protein diet that you're doing. And there's you and your granny panties standing in front of the mirror taking this picture. And you never wanted anyone to see that picture. But then your phone gets lost or your phone gets stolen and the next thing, you become a meme. <laughs> this happens. You know, it's really learning to treat digital content as the vulnerable content that it is. I also say it because accounts get hacked. Look at Jennifer Lawrence. You know, I'm, sure, I'm sure some of you have looked at Jennifer Lawrence. She took all these pictures of herself naked years ago. Naked pictures, naked videos, they were fun. They weren't sent to anybody. They were pictures of her just messing around in the house, but naked, videos of her dancing, naked dancing in the bathroom in the mirror. Best kind of dancing is naked dancing in the mirror of the bathroom. And so she's taking these videos. She never sent them to anyone. In some instances, she deleted those pictures and videos so quickly. But once they're there, they're there. And she didn't realize that for the four seconds those photos and videos were on her phone, they were automatically backing up to her iCloud. Years later, over five years later, her iCloud got hacked. They found the hacker. He's sitting in prison in America, but those photos and videos are everywhere. Digital content is dangerous content. Now, I also talk about the billboard because as soon as content has been seen by one other person, as soon as what I'm saying into my phone has been seen by just one other person, then in the eyes of the law, we treat that content as if you'd published it on the front page of the newspaper. There is absolutely no difference in the laws that apply to what I say to you now, what I say on the front page of the Sunday Times, what I say on radio, what I say on television, and what you're saying on a WhatsApp group to three people. 
what you're saying on Facebook to 500 people, what you're saying on Twitter to 50,000 people. As soon as one other person has seen that content, then it's been published for the purposes of our law. The extent of the distribution might be reflected in the damages or in the harm, but certainly in terms of the law actually applying, as soon as it's been seen by one other person, then all the laws kick in. So we're going to talk about that. Now, the thing is that every person in this room now has instant access to an international public permanent platform. It's a terrifying prospect. It'll be a terrifying prospect if I drink too much wine tonight. But just in general, the idea that I can think something and publish it for the world to see. And then once it's out there, it's out there. There was just somebody who was fired in Washington. He tweeted something. He was actually the spokesperson for a politician on Capitol Hill. And he tweeted, me like he broke girls. You know that stupid sitcom, Two Broke Girls? And accidentally, he sent it from his professional account as spokesperson of this politician instead of his personal account. He realized his error immediately. He deleted it. It was up for 14 seconds, but he was fired because once it's out there, it's out there. So what I think we all need to know is appreciate that this great responsibility of having instant access to this international public permanent platform comes with responsibilities. Now, we all know about the right to freedom of speech, freedom of expression. It's a fundamental constitutional right. But it's not an unlimited right. And when people get fired because they've said something on a WhatsApp group, who's on a work WhatsApp group? Most of you. Who's on a WhatsApp group, a work WhatsApp group that sometimes looks like work and sometimes looks like play? <laughs> There's just something about WhatsApp that makes it feel like we're sitting around with our mates having a glass of wine and people slip. If you wouldn't send it from your work email address, don't send it to a work WhatsApp group. I know it's tempting, but I get calls at least once a week from somebody to say they've been fired from their work, from their job because of something they said on a work WhatsApp group. So, so, um, it's appreciating that we all have this right to freedom of speech, but it's not absolute. So when people get fired or when people get arrested, like Vicky Mombo gets sentenced to three years in prison for crimin and urea, or there's some big hate speech thing, or like overnight uh, the, the head of the engineering society, I don't know if you've seen, has, has been told to resign because of the sexist article that he's written. Um, people say, oh, it's freedom of speech dead. What about freedom of speech? And I've got to say to them, yeah, freedom of speech is not dead, but... It's not an absolute right. We all agree that you can't have child pornography on the front page of the newspaper because it conflicts with other people's rights. So my right to freedom of speech has to be balanced against your right to privacy and your right to dignity and your right to reputation, your right to equality, your right to religion. There isn't one right in our Bill of Rights which is more important than other rights, except maybe the right to life. That's usually a Trump card. I'll try not to say Trump again. Um, <laughs> It'll, it's tricky, though, with social media, especially on Twitter, because people say to me, you know, you say all these things and you tweet one stupid thing and your career is over and then Trump gets the most important job in the world. All I can say about that is that the rules that apply to Trump do not apply to the rest of us. You know, there is just that's all I can come up with. It's the only solution. Um, what I also want to say, though, is that your right to freedom of speech is not limited just by conflicting laws, conflicting rights, but also by your professional codes of conduct. Now, this is a very regulated industry, particularly issues around confidentiality, insider trading. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those fields that people just slip. You know, we've seen various huge, you know, regulatory bodies getting involved in social media. I'm thinking of the Health Professions Council in the case of the Tim Noakes tweet. Um, we've seen it with uh, the FSB in various social media cases. You have to remember your obligations under your profession. Um, and actually what was very interesting recently was that I got contacted by somebody who um, had put on Facebook that he thought that KPMG should fall. Now, he was an auditor at a big audit firm, just about to finish his articles, it was late last year, 
not KPMG. Now, obviously, if you work for KPMG, you can't put that on Facebook. You can't put it anywhere because you're biting the hand that feeds you. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But he said that he thought KPMG should fall in the same way that people were saying Zuma must fall. And he had been suspended from his job. Frog marched out the office, denied access to electronics, and he had a disciplinary hearing the following Tuesday. This is a Friday evening. Phones me absolutely hysterical. And the charge was bringing the profession into disrepute. I could have said this because I'm not a member of the profession. It's a view, it's an extreme view, but it's an honestly held view from this guy. He can't say it because of his duties under the profession. And then your contract obligations. Now, everyone here, if you, unless you own the company, has a contract of employment or an independent contractor relationship. In terms of that, there are two big categories of people being fired because of content on social media. The first is if you bring your company into disrepute by your content online, you can be dismissed, you can be disciplined up to dismissal, right? Now the rules of the game have changed because historically you had to worry about how you behaved when you were at work during work hours. But when you were out drinking brandy and coke watching rugby on a Saturday night, you didn't have to worry about your obligations to the employer. That's changed. Firstly, because what you're putting on social media on Saturday night is still there on Monday morning. But secondly, and more pertinently, is that everybody has become a celebrity in the digital age. And the first thing that the digital vigilante mob will do, this mob that flexed its muscles so effectively in the last couple of weeks with Adam Katsavolos, is they find out where does this person work and let's get this person fired. It doesn't matter if this is conduct entirely outside of work hours, entirely outside of work premises. It doesn't matter if you're, in a, you're driving on a Saturday afternoon and you get irritated because somebody cuts you off and you are involved in this vicious road rage attack and somebody films it and says, look at this ex-company employee. It's got nothing to do with your job, but it has the potential to bring the company into disrepute. You can be disciplined. That's fairly obvious. Be a good human. What's not so obvious, perhaps, is the biting the hand that feeds you. Now, we all have a duty under the common law to act in the best interests of the company that employees, employs you. Now, that's fairly obvious about the company, but it also extends to your colleagues, your big customers, big clients, big suppliers. I spoke at a law firm not far from here recently, and a woman came to me afterwards. She was quite a senior lawyer, and she said, oh, she might have messed up. So I said, tell me the story. So she said that she'd been banking with one of the big banks, let's call it X-Bank, in her personal capacity for a long time. It had predated her employment with this law firm, and she'd been getting abominable service from them. She was at her wit's end. She was like the Celsi banner guy. Do you remember that guy who went to put up the billboard about how terrible Celsi was? And so she'd been writing complaints on Hello Peter, and she had been writing um, how she thinks KP, um, how she thinks uh, she wouldn't let her dog bank with this bank on Facebook. Um, but actually sitting there thinking about it, that bank is the single biggest client of the law firm that she works for, and could this be a problem? You can see how the delineation between the personal and the professional takes place. She worked at a little disparate department downstairs, not actively working on that client, but obviously biting the hand that feeds you. Um, okay, so let's talk about some of the laws. I don't have much time this morning, so I'm going to rush over them. But certainly where we've seen the most development by far is in the employment law context. There is somebody fired in South Africa every single day because of content on social media or conduct in the real world, which is documented and put on social media. Where we've seen some other development is in the case of defamation, privacy, um, hate speech, criminenuria. You know, defamation is a very interesting category, and particularly for those of you who have businesses where you are defamed by the public. The question is, is it okay? So 
To sue somebody for defamation is a very easy thing. You have to show that it was published to one other person, that it referred to you directly or indirectly. So if somebody writes an article about Emma Sadler or somebody writes an article about the blonde social media lawyer, they're still talking about me. If you can join the dots, you've met the requirement of reference. And it has to hurt your reputation. So I want to sue. That's what I do. Um, who can I sue? We're going to get to that in a moment. But firstly, if, if you sue somebody for defamation... They have a defense available to them, and the defense is truth plus public interest, benefit to the public. Now, what a lot of the courts are saying in the defamation cases is that what you're saying might be entirely true, but there's no public interest. Because what's public interest is quite different to what's interesting to the public. Particularly in these intra... <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, but particularly in these intrafamilial disputes, and these domestic disputes, you going on a rant about your loser ex-husband and how he's frolicking around town with his new floozy and he doesn't know what's coming for him. The courts are saying that might be entirely true, but it's not for the benefit of the public and you can't say it. So public interest is any evidence of illegal behavior, hypocritical behavior, unethical behavior. Just you airing your dirty laundry is not in the public interest. Privacy I'm going to talk about in a lot of, a lot of detail. Hate speech about to be specifically criminalized in South Africa. The moment you can lay a complaint at the Human Rights Commission, take somebody to the Equality Court, but the vigilante mob, much, much more powerful than the Human Rights Commission will ever be. Criminal inuria, when you lay a criminal charge against somebody for infringing your dignity. We don't have talk, time to talk about all of these things. I do want to talk about sextortion because it's something that's affecting, for some reason, very otherwise, otherwise very clever professional members of Johannesburg society. Let me tell you what happens. You meet somebody online. Maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's Tinder, maybe it's Grindr, maybe it's even LinkedIn. And this person is incredibly attractive and expresses immense interest in you. And you think, this is great. Okay, because you also you work so hard and you can't go out and you can't meet people and then this person is so into you. And then uh, you start chatting. And they have patience, these sextortionists. Sometimes, I had a client last week who phoned me. She'd been speaking to this person every day for eight months. Then they say, send me a nude, and you think that's a good idea. So you do. Um, send me a sexy pic, send me whatever. And then the person says, ha ha, I'm not even a woman. Send me 5,000 rand to my e-wallet, or I'm going to send this to your wife, your boss, put it on social media, your 12-year-old child who I'm following on Instagram, all of his friends, and then you pay because you panic because, God forbid, this naked photo of you and your genitals lands up on the internet. Um, and then you pay, and then they just keep asking. Can I just give you some advice when it comes to sexting? Firstly, don't. And I know I sound like a victim shamer, but I'm not. I spend my life acting for victims of revenge pornography and image-based violence. Pro bono, I've never charged a victim of revenge pornography, but I just feel so helpless when people have sent this content and it's being circulated. Once it's out there, it's out there. So, firstly, think carefully. Secondly, if you are going to get involved in sending nudes, make sure your face and your genitals are not in the same photograph. <laughs> you have a birthmark, a tattoo, anything particularly distinctive, this lovely Deloitte banner in the background, make sure that's not in it, right? <laughs> then, make sure that the person you're sending this nude to wants to receive it. Because if you're sending it to your colleague at work who you think has a big crush on you, you are going to be fired, okay? Then make sure you're sending it to the right person, not the wrong WhatsApp group, okay? It's such a big thing. 
I can't tell you how many cases and proper professionals who just get duped and just act very silly. If you have sent content, you're worried about it being circulated, by all means get in touch. We'll try and get a protection order under the Protection from Harassment Act. Let's talk about some of the more recent cases. Vicky Momberg has been granted leave to appeal after sitting for four months in prison. She was initially sentenced to three years in prison. She'd already been sentenced by the Equality Court to a 100,000 rand fine. She didn't use the K word once, she didn't use it twice, she used it 48 times. It was documented, it was put on social media. I was thrilled that she was sent to prison for this. And people say, oh, this, you know, what about freedom of speech? No, you can't go around using this word. And, and you know, maybe she would say that a prison sentence is more attractive than the public shaming that Adam Katsavalis and his family have gone through. But I think equally harsh reactions to intolerable conduct. This passed a lot of people by. Uyanda Mbuli, a famous South African businesswoman, um, went and laid criminal charges against the girl top right. Her name is Joyce Malamu. So what Joyce Malamu did was that she put on Facebook that Uyanda Mbuli was a stupid beep, word beginning with B and ending in itch, um, <laughs> and that uh, she was a stupid beep and then posted Uyanda Mbuli's cell phone number and said, please can everybody go and find her a blesser so she stops phoning my boyfriend asking him for money. Now, the fact is the boyfriend owed her money because of a business deal. So, Yando Bully just goes straight to the Madran police station, lays criminal charges of crimin and urea, and Joyce Malamu has been found guilty, which is great. It was quick. The thing about uh, crimin and urea, instead of defamation and all of these things, is that the state spends its own resources because it's a criminal offense. It's an infringement of dignity. So, she was found guilty. She was sentenced to a 6,000 rand fine or a four-month prison sentence, 350 hours of community service, and this was my best. She has to attend an eight-week adult life skills program through NICRO. It's like a program for adulting. I didn't know such a thing existed. <laughs> Perhaps we should sign up. But anyway, more than that is that Joyce Malamu is studying in LLB and hoping to become a lawyer and now has a criminal record because of a Facebook post in the heat of the moment. The law is catching up. The laws are actually there. People are just finally starting to exercise those rights. On the left is Shaka Sisulu, who's just been awarded the biggest defamation damages award in South African history. He's been awarded three million rand against a woman who said that he was head of an ANC war room which was responsible for creating fake news and ANC propaganda in the lead up to the last elections. He says he's going to start something called the Defamation Fund ZA because a lot of people whose reputations are ruined on social media cannot afford to use the law to cure their reputational harm. So he said he's going to start this thing called the hashtag Defamation Fund ZA and that um, he's going to put this damages amount into that fund and sponsor at least one person a month to cure their reputations online. On the right, top right is Basitsana Kamalo. She, and you know, this was a fascinating case. So, so she was the victim of some horrible stuff on Twitter, allegations about her and her family and talk about sex tapes and all complete rubbish by a woman called Jackie Pomozzo, bottom right-hand corner. She's laid criminal urea charges. But she also went up to the, protection, to the magistrate's court and got a protection order under the Protection from Harassment Act. I think what was most interesting here is the extent to which the court accepted the indirect reference. Basitana Kamala was referred to as a media mogul. And the court said that was enough. Because given all the responses and everything else that went with it, there was no question that she was talking about Bussy. Um, one of the most interesting things for me in this case was when we, so, so I say we, because I, I helped Bussy with this case, and it was, I was thrilled that she took action. Because I think the more that people with resources exercise their own rights on social media, the better it is, the better it is for the average social media user. 
And so we stepped on it because sometimes when you take action, you add fuel to the fire. You, it's, we call this the Barbara Streisand effect. You know, more people find out about it. There's the where there's smoke, there's fire allegations. I'm thinking of when, um, do you remember the Goodman Gallery case? Uh, I was thinking about it when I walked in downstairs, the JMB Art Fair's on. And um, the spear of the nation, the picture of Zo uh, Jacob Zuma and the genitals was hanging. I should probably shouldn't say hanging. Um, was, I was going to say up, that doesn't help either. Was... <laughs> on display at the Goodman Gallery. Gosh, this is deteriorating. Um, and that uh, picture was, was on exhibition uh, for eight days before Jackson and Timbo released a statement saying they're going to interdict, they're going to bring charges, they're going to sue, all these things. And suddenly the whole world saw it. You know, up until that stage, it had been seen by a very confined, art-loving public in Johannesburg. It had been up for eight days. And then suddenly released a statement, and it was the front page of the New York Times the next day. So often you add more fuel to the fire. Um, but I thought what was most interesting was when we released this press statement, which I thought was brilliantly drafted because I drafted it of, um, and then she released it on Instagram and on Twitter at exactly the same time. And on Instagram, everything was uniformly positive. Slay queen, you've got this, we've got your back, get those bullies, all this stuff. And then on Twitter, it was this hotbed of hatred. It was like, where there's smoke, there's fire, girl. <laughs> and, it just made me realize, and it's such an obvious point and maybe something I don't think about enough, how important it is that Instagram, because it's such a visual platform, requires people to be who they are. Whereas Twitter, if not encouraging anonymity, at least allows it. And if I could wave one magic wand to cure all the crazy stuff that we see on social media, particularly for the children and the bullying cases, it would be to try and get rid of this anonymity, to try and get these big social media companies to be quicker to hand over identifying information of the baddies. Vilapi Kamalo, we are awaiting judgment in the Human Rights Commission, um, sorry, not the Human Rights Commission, in the Equality Court, uh, Judge Sutherland has heard it, for his Facebook status, which was posted in the aftermath of the Penny Sparrow status. I want to cleanse this country of all white people. We must act as Hitler did to the Jews. Um, and then towards the end, um, uh, I will from today unfriend all white people I have as friends. From today you must be put under the same blanket as any other racist white because secretly you're all a bunch of racist beepheads as we have already seen. Um, I think this is going to be a very interesting case. And one of the first taken to the equality court of um, black people being racist against white people. Um, which makes a bit of a change. So, okay, so the chain of publication is an important legal principle. It's not complicated. You guys are all clever. It basically means if you have the ability to stop something from being published and you don't, you're responsible for it, even if you didn't create it. So if you send me a racist meme and I press forward, I become responsible for that content. As simple as that. Now where we translate this onto social media, this is what the law says, is if you have a Facebook page and somebody puts terrible stuff on that Facebook page, because you have the ability to delete it, if you don't, you're responsible for it. What Judge Satchel said in the Dutch Reformed Church case, she said, if you have a Facebook page, it's like having a big green felt newspaper, felt uh, notice board, and then encouraging members of the public to come and stick their scrappy pieces of paper on that board. Because you have the ability to delete any of the scrappy pieces of paper you don't like, anything that stays there is your responsibility. In the same way that the editor of a newspaper is responsible for the content of its pages. I Instagram something, I'm responsible for the comments because I have editorial control. Somebody ats me on Twitter, I have no editorial control, not responsible. If you retweet something, you share something, you're responsible for it. If you like content, you're responsible for it. It's a very active form of association. I'll take you through some case law. Then things get a bit more interesting. 
If you're tagged in content, let me take you through the case quickly. It happened in the Pretoria High Court. There was a couple who were married to each other, and they got divorced. And the ex-husband got remarried to a new woman. Let's call her the new young stupid wife, okay? <laughs> then the new young stupid wife goes onto Facebook and writes something terribly defamatory about the ex-wife. She calls her a pedophile. She doesn't name her. She says, how dare that woman? People reading it know who that woman is, right? Indirect reference. How dare that woman let the teenage son bath the baby daughter allegations of pedophilia, and then it culminates in saying she is a pedophile. This is the interesting part. The new young stupid wife, in writing this Facebook status, tagged her husband, who's the ex-husband of the person she's talking about. You with me? Husband does nothing. He doesn't like the status. He doesn't comment on the status. He doesn't share the status. Crucially, what doesn't he do? Untag himself or delete it. So when the ex-wife sues for defamation, she sued them both. And I was in court. Judge Hemstra said to the husband, but you could have untagged yourself. You chose to be associated with that content. You chose to be with aligned with that content. You're in the chain of publication. You have to pay the same amount of damages as your new young stupid wife and half the legal costs. Obviously, you're an innocent disseminator until you're aware of it. You always have that blanket defense. Until you're aware of something, you're not responsible. But the second you become aware of it, you're responsible. Now, the reason that I find that tagging case so interesting is, for me, I think what it means is that if you're on a WhatsApp group, and there's something dodgy going on in that WhatsApp group. You're kind of complicit. You're kind of guilty by association. You know, if I was on the WhatsApp group where Adam Katsavala sent that video, and I just did nothing, for me, you're guilty by association. You have the ability to say, hey, guys, not in my name. You have the ability to get the hell out of Dodge and leave the group. And my reading of that judgment is that if you don't, you're kind of complicit. And I had a mother phone me the other day. She got a daughter at school in Bryanston. She's 12 years old. There's five kids on a WhatsApp group. Three of them were bu viciously bullying another girl in the class. Two of them were saying nothing. But you can tell from the data on the group that they were reading it, right? The school suspended all five kids. So the mother of the, one of the kids who did nothing phoned me and said, but this is outrageous. My daughter didn't even say anything. And I was like, yeah, well, that's the point. Because she could have. She could have said, I don't want to be a part of this, not in my name. Does that make sense to you? Um, don't think there's safety in numbers. This was hilarious. The very conservative politician in America, Ted Cruz, the day after voting against allowing adult stores in the state of Texas was going around liking the most hardcore pornography on Twitter. Some of it were actually quite hard to imagine. Um, there it is. Tweets, three million followers. You go to his likes and there it is carefully curated. Absolutely no question that he is in the chain of publication. This is what we see. Sorry, wrong WhatsApp group. This was controversial. FNB sacking four employees for political talk um, on a WhatsApp group. Four employees, all employed by FNB, on a WhatsApp group, uh, talking about how FNB was slavery. They have been found guilty of 10 charges, including gross misconduct, breach of duty of good faith, biting the hand that feeds you, and fired. And then people always, oh, is freedom of speech dead? No, it's not dead. You just can't call your boss. Slavery. <laughs> Your company, slavery. You know, the, the contract of employment that you have with a company imposes duties on you. And we can complicate it, or we can just say, don't bite the hand that feeds you. And don't bring the company into disrepute. You know, I've been working on this theory that I'm calling vicarious reputational liability. That the net effect of somebody getting it wrong is invariably that the company's name gets dragged through the mud. I'm not going to talk about the content of Penny Sparrow's 
tweet. I'm bored of it, Facebook status. But I do want to talk about how I've still got friends who say to me that on principle they won't buy a house from Jarvitz because of the long-term reputational harm that was done to the company. And the standard modus operandi of the digital vigilante mob, if somebody gets it wrong, is find out where does that person work. Let's put pressure on the employer as soon as possible. I'll take you through an example. Vivian Catherine Basson driving to work in Johannesburg. She has a car accident with a taxi. She takes three pictures of the damage to her car. It's a hit and run. Puts it onto Facebook. Heat of the moment. This is the status. FNK word, taxi. And once again, I vote for the death penalty. These savages don't deserve to live. But more importantly, her son is alive. She is alive. They can rot in hell. What's the first thing I'm going to do when I see this? Take a screenshot. Preserve the evidence. By the time she gets to school, by the time she gets to work, she has a Zano or a cup of tea, she's going to delete it, right? Preserve the evidence. What's the next thing I'm going to do? Find out where she works. You know, there may be hate speech, criminal neuria, defamation, harassment, whatever it might be, but the quickest and the likeliest is let's get that person fired. And it works. How do we do that? Find out where she works. How do we do that? LinkedIn. Who's got a LinkedIn account? Everybody. You know, I think there's this sense that LinkedIn is the most sanitized of the platforms, the most professional. I see more issues as a result of LinkedIn than any other platform. And the reason is because it creates the association with you and your employer. And as soon as you have a LinkedIn account, in my view, you become a mini spokesperson for the company. I've got clever friends who don't say where they work on Facebook. They don't say where they work on Twitter, but they've got a LinkedIn account. And as soon as that overt public association is there, you, can, you have the potential to bring the company into disrepute. So I was part of the mob this day. I Google her. First result, LinkedIn. Says she's a subcontractor at Ericsson, South Africa. By the time she got to work that morning, hashtag boycott Ericsson was trending not just in Johannesburg, the whole of South Africa. It works. This is the Ericsson World Twitter account. We appreciate all your comments. We do not tolerate any form of discrimination and are investigating the matter. Later that day, the subcontractor in question has breached our code of ethics and is no longer working for us. In the meantime, a PR disaster for the company. This is my tweet of the day, Deep Fried Man, the comedian. In reaction to Basson's racist Facebook post, I promise not to buy any Ericsson products, which is easy, since I wasn't going to anyway. <laughs> Bringing the company into disrepute, it transcends work hours, work premises, even if you identify yourselves on Twitter as a member of this. If I saw, watch a video on YouTube, like Adam Katsavolas, and somebody identified him, Somebody will identify you, all the companies, all the associate companies, wife, schools, etc. Now, for those of you who think there is such a thing as personal capacity on social media, I want to take you through two different cases. This is a man in a conversation with his girlfriend. She says, okay. This is on WhatsApp. He says, I've taken too much of your nonsense. Today was the last day. It stopped today. Never again. She says, "Aight." And because you don't know how to fix things when I try to talk to you, I'm just going to slap you whenever you beep up until you stop. Because you seem to understand when things are done with violence, this is how it's going to be now. What does she do? She takes a screenshot. Then what does she do? She Instagrams it. What do we do? Find out where he works. Investec is trending slowly because an employee of theirs is accused of abusing his partner. Twitter is more powerful than we realize. realize. Potential to bring the company into disrepute even in a private 
WhatsApp message. This was even more interesting. The Santon SPCA releases this statement. The man behind the heartless dumping of the body of a family dog this week is a leading member of the legal fraternity. Adam Anderson, head of litigation at Bowman Gilfillan, one of the largest Santon-based law firms, was caught on CCTV opening the boot of his Mercedes-Benz and glancing around before dumping the animal carcass in a quiet suburban street. Who saw this video? Most of you. Um, the first response from Bowman's, although not an official response, apparently a leaked email, was we discussed the matter with the individual concerned and have satisfied ourselves that this is a personal matter that does not involve the firm. There is no such thing as personal capacity on social media. You are who you are in the real world when you go online. This was some of the content uh, trending all week on Facebook, on, uh, on Twitter, and the subsequent statement from Bowman's following further investigation and as an initial step, we have asked the partner to step down from his management role with immediate effect. We've also placed him on special leave to deal with the consequences of his actions. I remember years ago, a headmaster saying to us at school, that integrity is what you do when you think nobody is watching. And if you've watched this video, you'll really see, like, he gets out, he looks around, makes sure there's no one there, pulls the body of the dog out, closes it, looks around, jumps in, does a runner. And I think that the point is that we've all become celebrities in the digital age, and our friends and our family and our colleagues have become the paparazzi, and we paparazzi ourselves and we paparazzi each other. And I think largely this is a good thing because it's holding us all to a higher standard of conduct. You know, when Prince Harry was 19 and he went to the nightclub and he drank too much tequila, he had to worry about how he behaved in public because if he got it wrong, the paparazzi were following him, those pictures would be published, and we're all that person now. Let's talk about the other category, biting the hand that feeds you. This is a photograph taken in the aftermath of a bomb blast in Afghanistan where five South African pilots were killed. Horrific case, two dead bodies, bottom right-hand corner. What the Citizen newspaper did was that they published this photograph on the front page of the newspaper, but they edited out, they photoshopped out those two dead bodies, and they ran this image on the front page. It was a very controversial journalistic decision. A lot of people thought it was unethical, including one of their own journalists, a guy called Johan Hatting, who tweeted, hashtag citizen clone, cloning dead out of pick. Unethical, unethical, unethical. Pictures editor complained. Senior editorial staff was okay with it. What the beep. He was fired immediately. Now, if he'd come to me and said, Emma, I'm being sued for defamation, I would have said, no problem. It was unethical. It's true. It's public interest. It's fair comment. I could have said this. You could have said this. But he couldn't say it because of his contract of employment, not acting in the best interest of the company, calling them unethical. Now, for those of you sitting thinking, well, does this mean I say nothing? No. But it does mean you don't air your company's dirty laundry online. You exhaust internal processes, procedures, whistleblowing mechanisms, etc. Uh, insider trading, this was the first person investigated by the Securities Exchange Commission for insider trading on social media. Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, put on Facebook, congrats to Ted Sarandos and his amazing content licensing team. Netflix monthly viewing exceeded one billion hours for the first time ever in June. And see why I said it. Part of his team, kudos, you guys are legends. Share price went from $70 to $82 in a day. We've seen some of the things with Elon Musk. Um, Francesca's Holdings Corporation, Gene Morphis, he tweeted, board meeting, good numbers, <laughs> happy board. <laughs> Fired. Um, be <laughs> Especially you guys, you are exposed to enormous amounts of price-sensitive confidential information. You know, in many ways, these were the halcyon days um, when we communicated by passing notes because we had control over the communication. And now we're having that conversation in a digital way. And 
As I said, we have to treat digital content so carefully, but you know, my business initially, when I was in media law, was journalists messing up. Then it was people messing up on social media. Then it was people messing up in the real world that gets documented and put in line. And more and more frequently, it's screenshots of more private messages on social media. By far the most affecting case that I think we've had so far in South Africa was this case of the High Court Judge Mabel Janssen, who was in a private Facebook message with one other person. Jillian Scutter, she said the most horrific things. I mean, I was going to say racist, beyond racism. Private message, Jillian Scutter takes a screenshot, publishes it for the world to see. She's immediately suspended. Judicial Conduct Commission calls for her impeachment. Now this, I was going to say, became a national news story. It didn't. It became an international news story. I commented on Sky, CNN, and BBC about this case, and rightly so. Because this isn't the random estate agent on the south coast of Natal. This is a high court judge. You know, this is somebody's opinion we really should give a damn about. And the overwhelming theme in all of the questions in the aftermath of this was, yes, she said these terrible things. Yes, they're not befitting of a high court judge. But what about her right to privacy? This was a private message between her and one other person. What about her right to privacy? It's actually a bloody good question. What about her right to privacy? What is privacy? Think about it for a moment. What's private to you? Do you think privacy still exists? A lot of people say to me, Emma, privacy is dead. Get over it. I get furious. Of course privacy is not dead. If I had woken up this morning and there were naked pictures of me all over the front page of the newspaper, I would feel like my privacy had been infringed. I appreciate that it's different because we overshare so much of our lives. We default to over-documenting where we go, who we see, what we do, what we wear, what we eat. But of course privacy still exists. The legal test for privacy is this. If you can show that you have a reasonable expectation of privacy in a particular set of circumstances and somebody infringes it, then you can sue them. A reasonable expectation in a particular set of circumstances. He takes out his phone now. He takes a picture of me right now in this moment. Is he infringing my privacy? No, I've got no expectation of privacy now. I'm dressed in a public place. What if we were having a meeting, just the three of us, sitting around here, and he takes a picture of me? Is he infringing my privacy? Let's say more so, higher expectation of privacy. What if I see he's about to take the picture and I say, please don't take it. I've got a rule. No one's allowed to take pictures of me when I'm speaking. He takes it anyway. Then is he infringing my privacy? Yes, because I've established an expectation. It's not always so easy in a big crowd, but in general. The more you look after your privacy, the more of it you have. The more you look after your privacy, the more of it you have. If you've never been on social media in your life, you have a higher expectation of privacy than the person who lives every five minutes of their lives online. Just quickly going back to the Adam Anderson case, the Bowman Gilfillan case, for those of you sitting here thinking, well, I'm not on any social media, I don't even have a smartphone, this couldn't happen to me. Adam Anderson had absolutely no social media presence at all, but he still became the number one trending topic. So the more you look after your privacy, the more of it you have. The more you look after your children's right to privacy, the more right to privacy they have. I was thinking about it recently with, um, I just finished reading Andre Agassi's autobiography. It's great. Really good. So I finished reading it, and being the voyeurist that I am, I think to myself, I wonder what, Adam Anderson, what uh, Andre Agassi's children look like. So I Google Andre Agassi Steffi Graf children. There's not one picture of those children on the internet, not one. It means that if the tabloid magazine publishes a family photo, the faces of the children must be pixelated because they've created expectations of privacy for their children d despite their extraordinary fame. Compare that to Serena Williams's child, who's not even a year old, has her own Instagram account with millions of followers. If the tabloid press publishes pictures of a kid, she can't turn around and say, oh, what about my child's right to privacy? What privacy? 
So the first step is, do you have a reasonable expectation of privacy? For those of you who use social media in obtaining evidence and creation of algorithms, provided it's available on the front end, you don't have to hack any system, you can use it. You don't have an expectation of privacy if you haven't set privacy settings. I know that what I tweet can be published on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow. But if somebody publishes a photo from my Instagram account, I would sue them for infringing my privacy because I have an expectation of privacy over my Instagram account. I've got all the privacy settings. Unless I'd invite you for dinner, I'm not going to let you follow me on Instagram. It's really as simple as that. I don't use hashtags because hashtags not always but can penetrate the privacy setting on pictures. The more you look after your privacy, the more of it you have. There are two defenses to a privacy infringement. The first is consent. You can publish those naked pictures of me. I give you permission. You can publish my HIV status, my medical information, I give you permission. The second is public interest, benefit to the public. Did Mabel Janssen have an expectation of privacy over a private message between her and one other person? Absolutely. Did she consent? Did she say, Gillian, take a screenshot, ruin my life? No. Is there public interest? Manifest public interest in us knowing that a high court judge holds these kind of views. The email from Gupta A to Gupta A that was distributed in the Gupta Leaks. They all began with A. <laughs> was there an expectation of privacy? Yes. Was there consent? No. Is there public interest? Manifest. Doesn't absolve the person who hacked those emails from criminal prosecution under Section 86 of ECTA, unlawful interception of data. But in terms of the publication, you're allowed it. This happened two weeks ago, three weeks ago on a Kalula airplane. A woman was on an airplane. They're taxiing to the runway. She sends a message to her husband, direct message on WhatsApp or on SMS. And she says the K-word pilot. There's a minister sitting next to her who's peering over her shoulder. Sees that she's written this K-word message. Presses the buzzer. The stewardess comes over. He tells her what happened. They turn back to the bay and they offloaded her. Arrested and lost her job. The question's again, did she have an expectation of privacy? Well, there it almost fails. Like, I take a lot of flights. And I learn a lot of interesting stuff on airplanes. <laughs> like, a lot. Um, I almost think you don't have an expectation of privacy over what you're doing on an airplane. So I think it almost fails there. But even if she did consent, uh, sorry, no consent, public interest. Kenny Kunene tried to argue that there was public interest in the publication of a pornographic video sent by one of Cyril Ramaphosa's alleged mistresses to Cyril Ramaphosa. To his private Gmail account, it was hacked in the lead-up to the December conference and the Dirty Tricks campaign, and Kenny Kuneni's crowd published this pornographic video of this woman, who's not a public figure, and not a public person, and not paid out of the public purse, directly maybe. Um, and Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Um, and he published it, and she went to court to get it uh, taken down. I was so angry about this. So, so, so angry about this. And... Um, the judge said absolutely no public interest because Kenny Kuneni tried to argue that there was public interest in the publication. Um, I'm going to skip over a couple of things because we've run out of time. Actually, do I, can I have five more minutes? Is that allowed? Okay, then I'm going to go back to this um, because it's quite funny. Hang on, let me see if this listens better than my clicker. So this is a girl called Sarah. We don't know anything about Sarah except her Twitter handle is at um, Queen Demetriax. She sends a tweet to American Airlines. She says, at American Air, hello. My name's Ibrahim, and I'm from Afghanistan. I'm part of Al-Qaeda, and on June the 1st, I'm going to do something really big. <laughs> Bye. So American Airlines sees this, and they reply. They say, Sarah, we take these threats very seriously. Your IP address and details will be forwarded to security and the FBI. This is her response. OMFG, I was kidding. I'm so sorry. I'm scared now. I was joking. 
And it was my friend, not me. Take her IP address, not mine. <laughs> I was kidding. Please don't. I'm just a girl. Please. And I'm not from Afghanistan. Well, she wasn't from Afghanistan. She was just a girl. She was 14 years old. She lived in the Netherlands and she was arrested on charges of terrorism. In South Africa, the age of full criminal capacity is 14. You can be arrested from 14, even from 10, depending on the circumstances. Um, so, so this is hilarious. I think it shows two things. Firstly, and I've got a lot of my friends, particularly in the regulated professions like this one, thinking that, oh, I know there are all these rules about the profession, so I'll just be Jane Doe XXX or Mickey Mouse 123. Be very careful of thinking that you can drape yourself in a cloak of anonymity because as much as the anonymity problem is the biggest issue we have on the internet, we do have ways of finding out who's behind accounts. So don't do that. Don't think you can be anonymous online. But it also shows the two default excuses. The one is I was hacked, I was fraped, it was my friend, not me. The other is I was joking. This is my favorite, I was hacked. Somebody else used my phone. Vanessa Hartley, the Hout Bay racist. Huge trouble, realizes, two days later, realizes how much trouble she's in. Criminal urea, hate speech, lost her job, etc. Then this is my favorite. My favorite apology of all time, you ready? Hi. I would like to apologize for comments that was made on FB via my phone, as my phone was at the bar, at at bar, <laughs> like the phone just went for a drink. Um, <laughs> and someone thought they were very funny, but now they upset me and a lot of people. I am sorry for leaving my phone lying around, and here is my public ap ap apology. Nobody is going to believe you. If your account is hacked, usually it's obvious, like if I suddenly start tweeting about diet pills, you know I've been hacked. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? But because it's the default excuse, it's become a very lame excuse. So if it does happen, tell somebody immediately. Apologize if anyone's been offended. Delete the content. But do tell somebody, especially in the employment context. Because you wait until you find and you say, it wasn't me. It's a very difficult thing to prove. The other default excuse is, I was joking. So this is Max Boroshenkov, the features editor of the FHM magazine in Cape Town. Puts on Facebook, I propose correctional rape and sterilization for any white person who twerks. We can joke about twerking. We can joke about white people twerking. We're bad at it. What we cannot do is joke about rape, correctional or otherwise. Even worse was what his colleague said, Montley, I think rape can be quite fun if executed in a romantic manner, like saying I love you before you slip a roofie in her Earl Grey tea. Both these guys were fired immediately. Max Breshenkov turns around and says two things. Firstly, but this was my private Facebook account. It wasn't just a private account. It was a custom account. He'd hand-selected. You could see it. Doesn't matter. As soon as one other person seen the content, we treat it as if it's published on the front page of the newspaper. It doesn't matter if it's three people on a WhatsApp group. The second thing he says is, I was joking. Of course he was joking. But three things happen when you put content in digital format. You lose context, you lose tone, and you lose control over your audience. What's funny to you and your mates on a Saturday night over a beer isn't going to be funny to the boss or the clients on Monday morning. Emojis help with tone. Like a winky, not a winky, no aubergines here, kids. A wink face at the end of a sentence can connote sarcasm, but it's tricky. Be very careful of those three things. Also, from whence it comes. Like, Trevor Noah can joke a lot more than I can. Let's finish off with some reputation. This guy, this Dilbert Cartoon, this guy goes in for an interview, hands over his CV. And the guy interviewing him says, oh, I don't need to see your resume. That's the old way of hiring. Now we use data from the internet to see what you've been up to lately. Then he has a look. Ew. The guy says, I'll show myself out. You'll understand if I don't shake your hand. <laughs> look, there's humor here. <laughs> but it's totally true. Everyone you meet for the rest of your life is Googling you. Google yourselves. For those of you who are in the employment, you are employers, 
I don't think it's a question of you should potentially check somebody out online before you hire them. I think if you don't, you're acting negligently. But do guard against the fact that you will see a lot more information there than you would ordinarily be able to ask in the recruitment process. Treat yourself like the celebrity you've become. This is the photo you post on Facebook. This is the photo you're tagged in. <laughs> I love these chicks. It's the same three girls in the same dresses, in the same order, just slightly later on <laughs> in the evening. I call this your digital shadow. Looking after your online CV is not just looking after your digital footprint, but also your digital shadow. I love this quote from Warren Buffett. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. And I don't think it takes five minutes anymore. I think it takes five seconds. In terms of identity theft, I'm seeing so many people sharing far too much information about themselves. Do you remember Catch Me If You Can? The most famous identity thief of all time, Frank Abagnale. His famous quote was, give me a person's full date of birth in the town where they were born and I'm 98% of the way to stealing their identity. We all put our date of birth in the town where we were born. Hide the year. Start thinking to yourself, what happens if information lands up in the wrong hands? Um, it's people who take a picture of their visa, and then they say, woohoo, off to India, hashtag blessed. And then, <laughs> people are so dumb. We call this self-incrimination. For you guys in the insurance industry, you know, if you... Find content on social media, you can use it. There's absolutely no question about that. People sharing, I'm seeing insurance companies repudiating claims because people are sharing too much information. Um, Kim Kardashian Instagrams this selfie from a hotel room in France, and she's got her location services on, which means that anybody looking at it could tell not just which hotel she was in in France, in Paris, but which room in that hotel she was in. And an armed gang comes in, ties her up, guns to her head. And I thought this is what happened, but I watched the episode the other day. This did happen. They showed her her own Instagram post and they posted, pointed to that huge mofo diamond and they said, we want that diamond. Not like that, they're French. <laughs> they stole 10 million euros worth of jewelry that night. Um, I'm starting to see it here, insurance companies using content on social media, evidence on social media to um, repudiate claims. This is uh, the last thing I'm going to say. It's this bio on Tinder from Victoria, who's 25. She says this, on the topic of nude pics, I just want to remind everyone of a little movie called Titanic. A girl in 1912, 1912 has her naked body drawn in a sketchbook by a random dude that no one's ever heard of. Locks the drawing in a safe on a boat. The boat sinks. And her nude picture still ends up on television 84 years later. <laughs> no one is safe. I was going to talk about the addiction issues, but I've run out of time. I'm going to finish with this billboard test because I always do. If you wouldn't put what you're about to say in digital format on a massive billboard next to a huge photograph of your face, your name, the name of the company you work for, and as Adam Katsavolos has shown us, your children's names, your children's faces, your wife's name, your wife's face, the company name of your wife, the school's name of your children. If you wouldn't put it on that billboard, you do not let it exist in digital format. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, awesome. Okay, so we do have time. We don't have time, but uh, they're indulging me. So some questions that have come up during the, during the talk. Uh, what is the role of liability insurance 
in social media legal cases. Uh, what is the role of liability insurance? Okay, so this is something that is emerging, um, and we're seeing a lot of companies start rolling out liability insurance uh, for social media legal cases. You know, it's all quite uncharted territory, but certainly something I think most of you should be thinking about, and certainly an international trend. How much time is needed to untag, delete, remove from WhatsApp group? Say, not in my name, etc. before you're deemed guilty by association. Now, that is a good question. If you haven't been online, you're not responsible. If you haven't seen it, you're not responsible. If somebody puts child pornography on my Facebook page, I'm not responsible until I'm aware of it. I do think that where you are on platforms that allow you uh, technical measures to make sure that content doesn't land up on your page unless you approve it, you must do it. So particularly on Facebook, you must have the setting that if somebody wants to write on your page, tag you in something, you have to add it to your timeline or hide it. Now, looking after your digital shadow is that if you get a notification saying somebody wants to add you, tag you in this picture, and you look at it and you don't look like how you look, by all means, press hide from Tideline. But if it's a picture of you with a bottle of vodka in one hand and a joint in the other, don't press hide, phone the person and say, what the hell are you doing putting that on Facebook, delete it. And the law in South Africa, not Emma's rule, the law is that if somebody asks you to delete something from social media, the law is that they must delete it immediately. It comes from a lovely case called H versus W, Judge Nigel Willis. Unless there's manifest public interest, evidence of you doing something illegal, then it's allowed to be published, but if you ask somebody to delete it, the law is they must delete it. In terms of WhatsApp groups, maybe you're overseas, maybe you're having a digital detox, maybe you are not on Wi-Fi. If you haven't seen it, you're not responsible. So there is no specific time period. In the Esparta versus Richter case, which was the tagging case, there had already been a letter of demand sent, and he still hadn't, so he couldn't rely on this defense of innocent dissemination. Um, my, my worry is that people are sometimes on WhatsApp groups that they can't keep up with. Uh, you know, especially the children. They're on these WhatsApp groups with 100, 200 people on. Most of them they don't know. And there I think it starts getting a bit risky. Also, there are some groups that you can validly remove yourself from the group and some you can't. Like if you're on a community WhatsApp group or a work WhatsApp group or a safety WhatsApp group, practically you can't remove yourself. But we're also seeing an international trend towards holding the administrators of WhatsApp groups responsible. Just in the last few weeks, we've seen arrests in Senegal, Mali, and two in India um, where they've arrested the administrator of a WhatsApp group for content shared on that group, um, which I think is nuts. And none of those, company, those countries are the bastions of freedom of expression that we should be coveting. And I don't think you can ever be preemptively responsible. I think you can only be responsible after the fact, because you can't anticipate that people are going to abuse the platform. But if you are an administrator of a platform, you have a, uh, uh, a person who keeps saying the wrong things, I would certainly remove that person. There is now also a feature on WhatsApp that if you create a group as an administrator, only the administrator can send messages to that group. I think that's super cool. The other completely random thing I think you should try doing is go into your, uh, for those of you with an iPhone, go into your photos, and you can now search within your photos. Like if you search baby, every single photo in your 3,000 photos on iPhone Every photo, including a baby, will come up. It's so freaky. It means that they're actually analyzing the data in every single one of our photos, even if it's just on our phones. Uh, the other thing I highly recommend you all do is uh, to try putting your phone on grayscale. If you feel like you're too predicted to your phone, um, try challenge yourself and put it on grayscale for a couple of hours, and you'll see how you do not want to touch it. Uh, I think we've got to appreciate that we're all being manipulated in this attention economy, uh, where the attention engineers who used to be uh, responsible for designing the most addictive slot machines with the bings and the bongs and the dongs and the dings and the lights 
are now being hired by these companies to keep us as addicted as possible. So just Google how you do it. All the phones can do it. How do I put my phone on grayscale? And I challenge you to put your phone on grayscale for a couple of hours today. You'll see how you do not want to touch it. One more question. What are your thoughts on the legal and ethics of web scraping data from the front end of publicly available information on websites? If it's available on websites, if it's available on the front end, I think you can use it. Um, the privacy issues. Uh, you know, so some of them, there's intellectual property issues as well. So... Um, you have to be conscious of that. Sometimes you have to say where you received it from. Um, but if it's on the front end, if it's publicly available, by all means, you can use it. Thank you very much for having me.